Hey guys, and welcome back to Grace of a Military Child and Life podcast. Life from the perspective of a military family member is way different than a civilian standpoint. Military children and family members give up their hopes and dreams to be able to stand by and support their service member, and it isn't an easy lifestyle for anyone to live. I hope that this podcast is able to help connect the military community and give others just a glimpse into what the military life is like from the perspective of spouses and children. Hi everyone, welcome back to Grace of a Military Child and Life podcast. Today I am here with Jen, who is a military child so and spouse. <laughs> so welcome to the podcast, Jen. How are you? Yeah, Gracie, I'm happy. Or Grace, I, I see your name, Gracie, on here. Oh my gosh, I'm like, Either oh, you're going to have to like clean this up. Um, Grace, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And I just want to say kudos to you for uh, being a military child, wanting to share our stories of the military child experience. Um, so just thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. So tell me kind of a little bit about your journey as a military child and what that was like for you. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting because I'm very fortunate to uh, be working with a nonprofit today who had a chance to learn more about my dad's story. And so even before my dad had joined the U.S. Navy, he was actually um, involved in the Philippine Army, uh, I think in the 19... 80s or something like forever ago. And then um, later on, uh, he decided to enlist um, for the US Navy. And that's how he was able to, you know, take my mom and uh, get stationed in Yokosuka, Japan, um, in which where I was born, my brother and I were born there in the late 1990s. And uh, yeah, it was just a very interesting experience moving um, every two to three years. And we we primarily moved back and forth from Japan to California. And there was a time where we did go to South Korea for a little bit. But, um, you know, I got to say, like the first 10 years of my life in the military, uh, it was very vibrant, loving. Um, you know, I really did feel a sense of community wherever I left or wh- wherever I went and wherever I lived. And I think that I, you know, unfortunately, you know, fast forward to when I turned 10 and we had lost my dad. um, I often say that, uh, I often say that I I lost my dad, but today I can also say in addition to losing my dad, I lost, I lost a sense of community, a sense of family, because it's been really hard to recreate that camaraderie that, yeah, just that shared common cause of you know, being of service to people, uh, it's been hard to find that, you know, I think since, since, uh, since then. And so it's not, it's not a wonder that here I am 20 years later now involved in military community and working with them directly with my husband, who is a, a veteran. I met him after his service. So yeah, that's a little snapshot for you. Yeah, it's definitely, I think a lot of people do experience that, that loss of community, you know, post-military life, um, you know, at whatever age that can, that comes at, um, you know, my dad retired in 2014 and I was like 12 years old and I was mm. so lost, <laughs> like, mm, yeah. you know, growing up, you know, I lived more of the civilian life because he took a seven year break in service from, you know, when I was basically a year old to eight years old. So I didn't have that military life growing up. So I basically had four years, you know, and he was reserved. So we only moved once and, Mm -hmm. you know, but still, you know, him retiring and us moving to more or less our permanent home, 
it's weird not being surrounded by the military. Yeah. And like, you know, I think that the military, no matter, like you said, no matter how long you've been in it or even how short, depending on how you're looking at it, Mm -hmm. it does leave a mark on you. You know, it's this, it's, it's a culture, it's a subculture in America. And, uh, it, it is a very interesting experience to, you know, be in the military bases to, you know, getting catapulted into the civilian world. But, um, either way it's, it's, a it's, it's a very interesting community to be a part of no matter how long you're in it. Yeah. Cause everyone just understands, you know, yeah, you can yeah. say, Hey, like, I mean, for example, we literally just met like, you know, yeah. five minutes ago and we're able to have a conversation because we both get it, you know, from the aspect yeah. of, you know, being a military child or, you know, and I connecting with spouses now because I'll be a military spouse one day. So it's like, you yes. know, you can sit down and have those conversations and connect with someone because you have the one thing of military in common. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I, I just feel like there's this immediate generosity and mm-hmm. trust and openness when you connect with anyone uh, from the military, whether they are active duty or civilian, like you said, they just kind of get it. And even if you didn't move around a lot, you know, you have to understand, like one thing to understand is that the military, you know, when you're in the military, you're, you're whoever is serving is essentially trained to, to kill, you know, to kill and to fight. And, you know, the average American doesn't, isn't trained to do that, isn't trained to be a professional mercenary, (laughs) essentially. And so, you know, even just that, that, you know, uh, environment, that way of thinking and training, you know, it, 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 um, ripple, it causes a ripple effect into the family and that having that mindset kind of always being ready, like always being prepared kind of thing, like having that mental state of like, you know, get ready to move, get ready to PCS, get ready to, you know, whatever. Um, and, and, and really also knowing that wherever you're at is always temporary. And so you kind of learn to just, at least for me, I learned this like later in life, but I, I learned that it is important to be present, you know, despite how long you plan on being somewhere. In fact, it's important to be even more present when you know that your certain, you know, your time at a certain location is only temporary. Yeah, because you're going to miss out on so many different opportunities and experiences if you're kind of just in that mindset of, okay, I'm only going to be here for so long. So we're only going to unpack these boxes and we're only going to settle in so much before, you know, six months comes around and we're moving again, or, you know, two years goes by, whatever the case may be, you know, you have to be able to be present in the, you're living in a new culture. Like no matter if you're in a different country or in a different state, you're in a different culture of where you were last time. And, you know, it's such a special thing being able to experience everywhere, you know, in the military life. Yeah. Yeah. And even the people you meet, you know, like you have people from every, almost every class system in America join the military. You know, some people join for economic reasons. Some people join for almost altruistic reasons to, you know, protect, you know, to fight for the greater good, to fight for the military, you know, fight for Americans and, and everything. And so you really get people from all walks of life, uh, even if you never move or relocate. Like some people are fortunate to like stay in one place for a couple of decades. Like I've definitely met a couple of people like that. I'm like, wow, you're one of the rare lucky people who didn't have to <laughs> uproot your life and start yeah. over and make, you know, but it, it is, it is really interesting. Um, 
all the people that you meet. And I do think it makes us um, better people for it because we are people, um, what do you call it? We're people persons. Is that the phrase? Like, yeah. you know, we're, we're just like, we're, we're naturally sociable, naturally yes. like giving and open and trusting. And, um, and I, I feel fortunate so far that like my experience with the military community, like, cause I think that there, there are some people who could take advantage of that openness and generosity and trust, but it seems like so far, uh, my experience so far, it's like everyone, no one takes advantage of that. It's like they, they lean into it. And, and if anything, they're even more generous than me and want to give and want to help and want to support. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And it's partly why, you know, I, I actually got involved in the military community 20 years later, um, almost begrudgingly. Like, it's like, it's not like it wasn't a choice. Like I I didn't, I I mean, it wasn't, it was a choice. Let me correct myself, but (laughs) I wasn't really, I think I wasn't really interested in it because, you know, I had a traumatic experience of losing my dad. And I was just like, well, why would I get involved in in the military if knowing what it's done to my family? And the thing is that, you know, the military community just seems like one of the rare spaces where camaraderie is still very real. And, you know, just again, talking about those, those traits we mentioned, the generosity, the openness, the trust um, in the community, especially with like spouses and especially with spouses, I I think um, is it's, it's incredible and it's inspiring. And it's always a good reminder that like, especially as a civilian now, it's a good reminder that like you, you can always start over and um, you know, the, the rug can get pulled from under you, but we have the grit to adapt and, um, and all that. We have that skill set, and I'm really grateful for that. And yeah, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, I definitely have a similar experience and I want to ask you about your dad's situation, but you know, we went through a traumatic experience of my dad getting injured in Afghanistan. He sent mm. in an IED. And so, mm. you know, we have, that experience. And I think, you know, during that time from when he retired to when I started the podcast, there was definitely a longing to be back in part of that military community, but Mm -hmm. also this sense of, you know, this was so traumatic, like, you know, this is such a traumatic experience. And, you know, I don't necessarily want to be part of that. Like I said, I would never, never marry military because (laughs) of that, because I've seen that side of it. But I mean, we all see how that went. Um, So it's like, you know, you say things and they go the opposite way. But, you know, you have that kind of resentment against the military lifestyle and the military in general of you brought so much trauma into my life. Like, how do I, you know, continue on and how do I do that? But you find yourself back in the community again and it's like, whoa, I missed out on this for so long. Yeah. I I think it's that familiarity, you know, like for the fact that you, you know, you also grew up in the military and, you know, there's a system in place. It's like, even if um, it felt so uncertain, sometimes like, it was uncertain and it wasn't, it wasn't uncertain long enough before they told you where to go, what your orders are going to be or where you're going to live right. and stuff like that. So it was really nice for that. And, and then also just like you said, the camaraderie, the common cause that, you know, the service members uh, have, and that causes a ripple effect to the family. Um, so, I mean, I think if you ask me like, Oh, would I have gone back to the com- military community? Um, would, would I have come back if I, 
didn't have to. And I think my answer probably would have been no, but I'm really glad that didn't pan out because yeah. here I am. And, um, you know, having worked with military retirees and, you know, just hanging out with veterans and just hearing their stories and working with them. It's, uh, it's, it's very like, I think it, I think it always, it often leaves me with a sense of appreciation and, um, desire to continue on that service centric spirit, you know, and, and giving back and thinking of the greater good and, and all that. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I think it's so important as well. Um, but what, what was the, the situation with your dad? Like, because you are so young, what do you remember from that time frame? Yeah, it's a, it was a pretty wild time. So I was born in Yokosuka, Japan, Naval Base. And that happened to be also my dad's last duty station before he was supposed to retire 20 years. So he was about 18 and a half years in when we moved back. And we had lived off base, as I think a lot of people do for the first like two years, you know, being on the waiting list before you get housing on base. And so then we lived on base and um, and it was really interesting uh, I actually, I really loved living on base because it just made it so much easier to hang out with my friends. Right. <laughs> but I also lived, I also enjoyed living off base too, actually. Like I felt like Japan, at least where we lived was extremely friendly and safe. And I mean, I was eight years old. I think I was like eight or nine years old cycling in Yokosuka, like in, in like the high traffic, like areas, like <laughs> going under the tunnels. Like I was yeah. cycling by myself. Like I, I remember, I remember like, I was like, I'm going to go to the base today, you know? And like, and I, I, I'm sure my parents were like kind of upset about it, but I don't remember that part. <laughs> I remember the part where I was like just on my own little, you know, eight, nine year old journey cycling, you know, from yeah. our apartment to going on base to pulling out my military card. <laughs> and like, yes, like I, you know, I you am a military so connected person. Oh yeah. I felt so independent and just, just all of that. And I was like, oh, I'm bringing my bike in. And I think I remember like my dad or mom got off work and they're like, how did you get here? <laughs> Cause I don't, I don't think it was a, um, I don't think it was a short trip. Like I, I think it, I don't, I don't remember that like how far we lived away from the base, but it was, it was quite the adventure to just kind of, you know, go through traffic and drive under tunnels and, um, all that and just feeling like absolutely safe. But anyway, um, it was about, so it was around October, 1998 when, um, I believe it, there was two people that came to our house and I know one of them was a chaplain. And I think the other one was probably the captain of the ship. I don't remember. I'd have to ask my mom, but I remember they came to our apartment when we were actually living on base in the towers. And, um, my mom was like, Oh, so sorry, let me backtrack. So my dad, um, his last ship was the USS Kitty Hawk from what I remember. And he like his ship was taken off from like Japan to I think South Korea um, when he had gone missing. And the story was that the the two people who came to our home said that, uh, you know, they were sent like they couldn't they weren't able to find him like they were they sent out a search crew in the in the ocean and continued an investigation for three months following to try to find him, you know, and at, at the end of the day in his death certificate, they had said that his death was unknown or that he may had drowned. Um, I feel like there's a whole other backstory behind it. Um, you know, we do, 
Uh, my dad did have a history of suicidal ideation. So we don't know if like maybe he had intended, like he had planned for that to happen. We don't know. But um, it really shook up the military base because my dad's story ended up on the news, uh, like in the newspaper, like the, uh, the you know, the base newspaper. I don't remember right. the name of the base newspaper. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, we had a, a whole... Um, you know, service, like a funeral service without the body, obviously, like for him on the bases, like church. Mm-hmm. And um, at that time, it was like, it was really, I, I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't know how to process it. If anything, I was like, this sounds like really selfish, but I was actually happy because because everyone on base knew and and they read about it a lot of my friends were coming to me and comforting me and supporting yeah. me and I thought wow I have friends you know what I mean like yeah. I have I have a community but then you know soon after the memorial service and you know soon after like they confirmed um you know they declared that he is missing um you know that's when our life catapulted we had to move and you know we ended up moving back to california because we had a family there and it was really it was really the fact like it was the fact that like i had to move again you know it's like right. oh okay i gotta start over again like i gotta make new friends again that is what broke me i cried like i i didn't cry up until that moment when i realized like oh oh, okay, I gotta, I gotta start over again, you know? And so, you know, going, moving to California, I remember that for the, for the first five, 10 years following after, I was very passive about making friends. You know, I kind of just like, like, I kind of just like let people gravitate to me. And I was like, okay, we're friends, but I, I I didn't take that initiative anymore. I think I was just like done. (laughs) Like I was just, done. But yeah, that's a little bit that that is a part of the story. And um, even today, like we're, we're very fortunate to be working with the Price of Freedom Foundation. So shout out to Dennis and Keith. Um, they they are a nonprofit that it that wants to document the story of our fallen heroes. And um, rather than talk about his death, they they want they're writing a story about his life, you know, what led, wow. you know, yeah. who he was um, up until the point when he unfortunately had disappeared. And I actually haven't read the book yet, Grace. It's, it's the final <laughs> manuscript is right around the corner from what I hear, but I'm really excited for this book to be available. And I'm really grateful to the Price of Freedom Foundation for doing it because it'll, I think it'll help fill in the gaps. You know, it'll help like, you know, just help, you know, it'll just help like yeah. add more to the story and and hopefully find, I mean, I think at this point I have, I have had a sense of closure and, you know, and I have found self-healing through being back with the community, ironically. Um, right. But like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just looking forward to what it has to say. So right now I'm only telling you a lot of what I think I know but I think the book is going to say a lot more. <laughs> yeah, no. And yeah. that's so, you know, special to be able to, you know, and it there's a good chance that it'll provide, you know, even more of a sense of closure and just healing in that, that sense of, you know, you're able to, to hold something in your hand and say, this is my dad's life, you know, yeah. in words. And it, it's not just, you know, thinking back to what you remember. It's like, you know, the actual facts of what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it because the organization has interviewed other family members and family friends. Um, Unfortunately, a number of them, I haven't talked to in a very long time. So it's just really great to have an organization who has kind of an unbiased, they have, they have an unbiased approach to 
uh, interviewing the family because reality is, and and it's interesting talking to other Gold Star family members uh, around this nonprofit or who who have decided to work with this nonprofit because they share similar issues where um, documenting the fallen hero's story is quite sensitive because when you lose someone, it causes this ripple effect in the family, the family, friends, et cetera. And unfortunately it causes a divide. You know, some people end up being estranged. Um, you know, some people, everyone, everyone deals with death differently. Um, and so it's, it's, it's really commendable for them to want to be that third party to reach out to family members and people who knew um, someone such as my dad and pull out that story. And hopefully in pulling out that story, it's not too much of a traumatic experience for the person they're interviewing. You know, Um, I personally was just really happy to, you know, to share my part of the story, my perspective. I mean, I was his daughter, but I, you know, I don't know what it was like to be his wife, be his brother, be his, you know, um, be his shipmate. Like, so it'll be really cool to capture their stories. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking forward to seeing what, how it turns out. <laughs> I can't wait yeah. to read it. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. really exciting. Um, you've mentioned quite a few different ways that you've kind of integrated yourself back into the military community. What, you know, have you done and what do you do to, to make that all possible? Yeah. Well, um, let me start by blaming my husband. Um, <laughs> he, so he, it, it's interesting cause you know, my family, we joined the military for economic reasons. Um, you know, my dad, he, I, I come from a family of farmers. Both of my parents come from a family of farmers in the Philippines at different, different parts of the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I remember, the story that I know is that my dad's dad um, said to my dad that you should join the Navy. So you, you know, the U S Navy, so you can get more opportunities um, and what have you. I don't know the exact conversation, but I think that's kind of how it went down. Even though my dad, from what I heard, my dad enjoyed being a farmer, but you know, he was catapulted into this um, military life. And uh, wait, hold up. I I lost my train of thought. What was, what was the question? (laughs) going somewhere (laughs) how you like integrated back into the military community oh yes 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 okay okay thank you um yeah and so um so oh yeah that's right that's right okay okay um yeah and so my so my dad joined for economic reasons and you know obviously it helped my mom and you know it it gave my siblings and I an opportunity to be born and raised as Americans and so you know we uh yeah we're we're Filipino Americans specifically and um it's been, and, and, you know, having the military benefits, like, you know, for us, our school has been paid for and, you know, we had TRICARE up until I think I was like 23. And I remember, I remember when I found out I was going to lose my benefits, I was like, oh man, like, what am I going to do now? Like, (laughs) I I don't, I can't go to the hospital anymore. I mean, I I figured it out. Like, yeah, I figured it out and I'm, I'm really happy about like how I figured it out. But at the time I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is like the last piece of a you know privilege or benefit yeah. I get from from the, like this is my last privilege as a military brat you know before <laughs> I have to like grow up I can't be a brat anymore I have to be right. a civilian adult in my mid twenties and I don't even know how to find dental insurance it's great you know like wow <laughs> here we go um, but anyway uh, so yeah dad came for economic uh, reasons and then uh, you know fast forward to twenty plus years I meet my husband and you know he. Uh, he attended West Point and he, you know, part of why he joined the army and became an army officer is because he saw the 
I guess, the greater good of the military at the time. I mean, he has a different opinion about it now, I'll be honest. But like right. he mentioned at the time, he wanted to he wanted to serve. And and so he did it more so for, yeah, that greater good. And and I, I had never met someone in the military who chose to join because they wanted, you know, they wanted to be a true American patriot, you know, yeah. like uh, even, even a lot of my family members and even my friends in college, like the ones who, the ones who like, um, were college dropouts, like mili- we had this culture of like military is the last resort. You know, if you, if you don't do well in college, if you don't go to college, you join the military. So I had, you know, I had that and the economic thing in mind. So when, when I met my husband who like willingly joined and willingly went to West Point to want to learn all these things, I was quite intrigued. I was like, oh, I never looked at it that way. And, yeah. you know, funny enough, like I, I've recently like binge watched like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and like watched <laughs> Captain America and all that. And I was like, oh, okay, I can, I can see the, I can see the, I'm not going to say propaganda, but I can see like the positive marketing people put yes. out there to really attract people to want to join the military, you know, and, and want to do it for the greater good. But again, our, you know, our family didn't do it. So when so anyway, my I, I met my husband well after he had already served, and um and part of why he transitioned or not part of why he transitioned out when he transitioned out he was in Germany and he needed a way to stay there so he joined a financial firm and this financial firm in Germany happened to be focused specifically on um, American service members or you know U.S. service members and so um, he was able to kind of uh, he was able to find a niche. Um, in the financial space, working with military retirees specifically. And then his mentor, like he he wanted to leave Germany. So his mentor was like, oh, come to San Diego. And uh, he moved to San Diego and that's how we met. And, um, you know, fast forward, I think two or three years, we moved over here to the East Coast. I'm currently in Hampton Roads in Virginia. And um, part of this journey of having been out here in the East Coast for the last four years, which has been a culture shock to say the least, to say yes. the least. It's been <laughs> a major culture shock, like four seasons in my adult life. How do people get to work? I can't like when it snows, <laughs> it's wild. Um, but part of the journey wasn't just the culture shock of, of experiencing the four seasons again, but it was more about like figuring out how do I work with my husband? Because I was working with, I'm, I'm working in a financial firm primarily with veterans who are, you know, bros and they, they served in the military as, you know, as single people, you know, unmarried, no kids. And, and yet here we are trying to uh, offer financial services to our military retirees, particularly our military families. And so part of like what I realized in our team is that I'm the only one who had a military family experience. Like I grew up in a military household. And one thing we noticed in working with our career military families is that, you know, when it comes to decision time, when it comes to the financial decisions, uh, it's not the service member that makes the final decision. It's the yes. spouse. Okay. And <laughs> the spouse runs the house, y'all. I said that the yes. first time. I love how that rhymed. The spouse runs the house. Okay. Remember that y'all. Um, yes. But anyway, like you know, they are the ones who make the final decision. And what I had noticed working with um, my husband, Scott, and our team is that um, they primarily had focused on talking to the service member, but there was sort of this disconnect in talking to the spouse. So come decision time, a lot of times we had found that even if the service member is ready to move forward with whatever they chose to do financially, the spouse was like, 
hold up, stop. Like, what are you doing? You know, it was, it was like one of those situations. And, and there was, like I said, there was this disconnect. So it, it made me really curious to know, like, where's that disconnect coming from? And, and so I wanted to study the military community. And so, um, and so I, I, we talked about this with the team and long story short, we started a podcast in 2019, summer, 2019. Um, we have a podcast show called holding down the fort. And, um, it's really been my way of reconnecting with the community, at least for what it is today and hear their stories and really find that answer as to like, why is it so hard for, let's say like, why is it so hard for, let's say, um, uh, military spouses, like seasoned spouses specifically, who've been in this life for so long to make long-term financial planning decisions. Like Spouses are really easy. Most spouses or a lot of spouses in in my experience are really good at the day-to-day budgeting or the monthly budgeting. Like they're really good at tracking all that stuff. Um, But when it comes to like insurance or leaving a legacy, um, you know, growing their wealth, it's very like, it's very like over their head. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm saying this in the most respectful way possible. And I, I was very curious about that. I was like, where is that coming from? Well, if you're a military spouse, all you could do is live day to day because every right. day is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, it, so I'm really grateful to, um, have really gotten back in touch with what it meant to be a military child and reconnect with the family side of the military. And, you know, in that process of interviewing them, I learned so much about myself in the process and just the gratitude I have growing up in a military household. I think that we are so, um, we have so much grit and tenacity and creativity and resourcefulness that I believe that, you know, a lot of our civilian counterparts don't necessarily have. Now, I also think that, you know, the downside of that is, and I'm just speaking on my own personal flaws is that sometimes we have committal issues because we're like, well, I'm just going to leave anyway. Like, even if you're already transitioned out, like your mindset's like, okay, what's my plan B? What's my escape route? Um, but yeah, that's what, that's what brought me back is, is my husband, you know, I, I blame him and, (laughs) and I also thank him. I also thank him. And it's really been a very transformative experience. And I didn't realize the value of sharing my story until you know, getting back involved. I didn't think, I didn't think my story mattered, honestly, because I was like, well, I was a military child for like the first 10 years. I don't remember any of it. I mean, I did, I, I journaled, but still, you right. know, I, I really minimized my experience. And and now hearing you, Grace, and how, you know, you and your family transitioned when you were 12, it actually kind of affirms my journey. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I'm not the only one who, um, you know, got like transitioned out with the family at a pretty young age. That seems to be like, I'm not the only one. And I love how you are validating the stories of military children, no matter how long they were in it and how young they were when they're in it. Cause it's a, uh, yeah, it, it really shapes you, you know, the military life shapes you, especially, especially if you're born into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cause you don't have that choice. You you're kind of just in it to, to go. You're in it to yeah. win it. Yes. Yeah. So the last thing I always like to ask is what piece of advice would you give to another military child? Or since you're kind of involved with the spouses too, what would you say to a a child or a spouse? Wow. Um, That's a, wow. I I haven't (laughs) thought about this. Um, I think, I think what I just want to say, and this is going to be kind of me channeling uh, my inner child and talking to her directly. I want to say that like, your journey is valid. Your journey is special and unique. And it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's valid and it's unique. 
and it's beautiful and you're not alone in it. And the things that you're learning on your journey is going to help you for the rest of your life, the way that you connect with people, the way that you pursue your whatever careers you decide. And I just want you to know that even in the craziness of military life, like you're not forgotten. Um, I think I very much felt that a lot of times, um, especially when we had transition out, it's like you are serving just as much as, you know, the service member is as your, as the spouse is. And I just want to say that it's a very unique privilege to be a military child, um, to the spouse. And, and this is me kind of, uh, speaking to my mom, you know, just thank you. Thank you for just everything. and like yeah. the life you lived and trying to keep it together for us and, and, you know, shameless plug holding down the fort, you know, for our family. <laughs> um, and I just, I'm just forever in debt to like your sacrifice and like, yeah, I'm just forever into debt. And, and, you know, my mom's my biggest hero as corny as that sounds and weird to say out loud, but there it is. Now it's recorded. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And spouses, like spouses, man, they, they are the cornerstone of military families and our military yeah. community. And I just want to say to them, thank you. You know, thank you. I see you. I value you. I respect you. And thank you. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing, sharing all of what you did share. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Grace. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Grace of a Military Child and Life. Make sure to set a reminder for every Tuesday to listen to a new episode. You can find us on Instagram and YouTube at Grace of a Military Child and Life. If you have any questions or want to be on the podcast, send a message to one of our social media platforms or email grace.of.a.military.child at gmail.com. See you next week.